Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I was delighted to be joined by Ben Green, aka Producer Ben, from such podcasts as the Totally Football Show and of course the Guardian Football Weekly in a previous life. I'm going to read from Ben Green's Wikipedia page now. Ben Green is a British media and podcast producer, currently head of production for Muddy Knees Media. Green is commonly referred to as Producer Ben on air. It is longer than that, his Wikipedia page, but, uh, you know, I feel like I'm going to sell it better if I tell you myself that we talked about uh, his time at Channel 4 News, LBC Radio, of course, Football Weekly, all the stuff, uh, you know, working with James Richardson and moving on to, to Muddy Knees and the Totally Football Show. We also talk about wrestling at the beginning because uh, Ben loves wrestling and um, lots of other things. Long old chat. Um it was really fun, actually. Producer Ben is a man who you may, many of you may have heard snippets of on various popular football podcasts. But have you ever got underneath the skin of Producer Ben? No? That's good, because I did today. Uh, and you can join me as we crawl through his organs um, and, I don't know, you know, through the esophagi. If you like this podcast, you can also listen to the Totally Football Show. That's that's free for subscribers and non-subscribers of The Athletic. But if you'd like to listen to that show or this show, totally ad-free, uh, you can do so by becoming a uh, subscriber of The Athletic. You can get a 30-day free trial to try that out. Uh, and, of course, all of the best sports writing available online uh, for 10 sports or 11. And you can do that by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. A 30-day free trial. Try it before you buy. I'm sure you're going to love it. Anyway, um, that's all for me at the beginning here. More of me now after the music plays, um, but lots more of uh, Ben Green, a.k.a. Producer Ben. Executive producer Ben. Hello, welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Hello, executive producer Joe. What an absolute <laughs> pleasure to be here, and um, I'm sorry that you've had to scrape the barrel. Don't say that, because if you say I'm scraping the barrel, then it's a suggestion that I'm at the bottom of the barrel also, because we share a job title. Uh, but anyway, I've introduced you already. The first thing I would like to, uh, to say about you, though, is that uh, you claim to be on first-name terms with Triple H of uh, wrestling fame. Do explain that, please. My friend Paul. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, this goes back to... I think January 2016, it might be 2017. Uh, the dates are a little cagey, and maybe I'll just Google as we as we talk here and recount the story. But um, <laughs> I was at the Guardian at the time, and um, I was very and and I'd got back into wrestling in a big way. It's never really gone away, but it sort of dominated my um, my spare time there, uh, particularly the older stuff and the behind the scenes stuff. And in my desire to um, <laughs> to, to watch quite a lot of it I asked the Guardian if I could go to um, the WWE's three day tournament in uh, Blackpool in January which was around the time of my birthday as well uh, well, can I stop you and say, for listeners who are international, will you describe Blackpool and its sort of position within the within the UK? Well I can say this because my mum uh, my mum is from Manchester, the northwest of England mm -hmm. um, it's um, it's pretty. 
Well, in January, it's pretty grim. It's a seaside town. Sure. It's, um, but I believe it is the, it might be the suicide capital of the UK. It's certainly got the highest rate of prescription medication. Very nice in the summer, probably, and particularly in the 60s. Lovely. Uh, uh, where your, your families would go on their holidays. Yeah. To a bit of the, the pier. The, the Big Dipper, of course. The Big Dipper, the seaside. Stay in a nice hotel. Yeah. Stuff like that. Now, the ballroom dancing, of course, also is the is, is what Blackpool. Well, we'll is known get onto the Empress Ballroom soon, but <laughs> now it's uh, it's sort of like stag party tastic. The the Labour Party have taken away their national convention from there, so that's seen a big hit in in jobs. As the owner of a of the a curry house that I went to was was telling me when I was the only person in there. Right. Um, yeah, it was. It was very bleak on and cold, and cold in January. But uh, an as odd I said, place to stage a, a WWE event. Yes, well, uh, Blackpool's got uh, quite a history in in British wrestling. In the same way that Butlins and sort of these holiday venues, um, a lot of a lot of people would um, ply their trade on uh, on the on the pier in front of live audiences. Uh, people like William Regal, who you might know uh, might have known as Stephen Regal. Um, wrestler, and his real name is Darren, and I met him at the same. <laughs> the three here, incredibly boring first names, I have yeah, to say. He's he's in charge of um, sort of finding new talent across the globe and knows everybody. So, and because he's from Blackpool, he's I imagine suggested let's do this tournament in Blackpool. Mm. And so, yeah, I kind of got in with the the press office at WWE, and um, I had th- three nights there, and I got and. Journalistically, I made a film for The Guardian, sure. um, which you can still see if you look for yeah. WWE, The Guardian, because they don't have a, a great deal of stuff there. But it's, it's, it's good. And uh, I interviewed Triple H. And actually, I haven't seen him since, but I, the, the guy who is sort of head of press at WWE says that the interview that we did, he sort of used our media training courses and things, because I asked him tough questions, <laughs> Guardian lefty liberal questions about... You know, resolution through violence, and should I be utterly ashamed of of myself for enjoying this and letting my children watch it? Um, I know it was really good fun. Yeah, my mate Paul. Do you think if you saw uh, Paul, aka Triple H, again, he would remember you? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, almost <laughs> certainly. Well, almost anyway, certainly. I just wanted to get the the headline anecdote out out of the way. Um, let's go back now because that's clearly the most impressive thing you've ever done. Let's go back now and start at the beginning of your life paul uh where were you born paul ben sorry i'm getting triple h's in my head yeah um no i'm i'm ben um i was born in northwest london in a place called Hampstead garden suburb which if you don't know northwest london at all you won't know um and i'll just say from a tube map perspective it's between Hampstead and golders green on the uh, northern line Lovely, lovely spot. And uh, you're famous for uh, working at The Guardian, primarily as uh, a uh, well, pr- as producer Ben on the Football Weekly Show, and then subsequently uh, as part of Muddy Knees Media as producer Ben, and now executive producer Ben at The Athletic. But I want to study the journey, Ben. That's what we're here. That's what we're really here to do. How does a, how does a man end up at The Guardian? Because there's a lot of them there, but I don't know how anyone gets there. Wow. Okay. So I. I'll, I'll, I'll start with sort of uh, the, the basics here, that my, my mum was a journalist, um, 
and occasionally still is. She's, uh, she writes as Sue Fox for the Sunday Times magazine, uh, does the Life in the Day column um, occasionally, and has sort of been perpetually saying, uh, this is my last article, which she's been doing for about 20 years. What's a Sue um, Fox? Sorry? What's a Sue Fox? What's a Sue Fox? That's yeah. what she writes at. Her name is Susan. Oh, I see. Sorry. I thought you, you described it as if it was like an like a, a an agony like a or something. I thought it was a special term for uh, <laughs> journalism, a piece of journalism that I didn't understand. No. no, uh, no. Her, name her name is, is Sue Fox. Is That's Susan how she writes. Fox, right. uh, from Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, well, if you want something interesting about her family life, um, her grandparents, the surname uh, surnames were Wolf and Fox. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wild things. Their, yeah. And uh, Eastern European Jews, they changed their name to Fox when they came into Manchester Piccadilly Station and saw an advert for Fox's Glacier Mints. Nice. Okay. So there you go. Some of the I most digress. delicious uh, hard sweets. Yes. Yes. Uh, but but we digress, Joan. I feel we're we're leading people on the, the wrong path here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my mum was uh, my mum was a journalist, so I was always uh, very interested in becoming a, a journalist and she did features and, and stuff so I'd never never wanted to do sort of news or anything worthy I should say serious um, yeah serious stuff and um, I always thought I could write I was uh, confident in my ability to write but I really really liked uh, listening to um, storybooks when I was younger uh, to go to sleep and then I sort of graduated to listening to, to radio so um, radio audio has always been a big a big companion of mine and speech stuff so um, I thought um, was kind of by the time I went to university I'm going to give this radio thing a lot so I did student radio and I was at Birmingham I was doing a degree in American studies um, I did and I was writing at the same time I was doing restaurant reviews and comedy reviews and stuff. I had a year in America um, at Santa Cruz, which if you've seen The Lost Boys, you'll know as the most haunted uh, city in, in America or town in America. Uh, very cool, weird place. Uh, but I did some more radio there. Um, and then I, after I did my degree at Birmingham, I, uh, I did a postgrad course at City University uh, in broadcast journalism where I sort of learnt more of the sort of techniques and, you know, used Cool Edit as it was then. That's now Audition Kids, yeah. Um, I used that for the first time and I got sponsored through that course um, by LBC. Um, this was at a time when LBC and commercial radio were, can I say spunking? Yeah, you absolutely I'll can. I'll quickly clarify it, yeah. Where they were spunking lots and lots of money on P on things like uh, Paul Daniels reviewing the papers for two hundred and fifty pounds <laughs> for for like ten minutes. Uh, they were owned by um, they were bought by Chrysalis, um, who are, have several bits of business. Um, but yeah, Chrysalis were were spending quite a lot of money and you know doing something very worthy. Uh, aside from you know Paul Daniels and Esther Ranson and Boy George being involved with with the station, um, they were giving uh, some. Uh, some, you know, the next generation of of uh, of radio talent an opportunity to work there. So they were they gave away two two internships, one, uh, and they were both intended as newsroom uh, positions. But I said in my interview, 
that I don't want to do that. I want to do comedy and uh, culture and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of caused a bit of a problem. The other guy that got the position still works there. He's now the managing editor. It's called Tom <laughs> Cheel. Um, but I was... <laughs> what you could have been, eh? And he, yeah, so he's he's been there. He's been political correspondent. He's been in the newsrooms and everything. Very nice guy. Um, but like I said, I was I was a bit of a problem because I wanted to be a producer, and uh, I wanted to work with Sandy Toxvig above anything else. And uh, and I did work on her show for a little bit. And I also worked with uh, Henry Kelly. Do you remember him? I don't You're know Henry young, Kelly. No, yeah, going for gold. No, no. All right. Who, Henry, who was Henry Kelly? Henry Kelly was uh, a slightly naff TV presenter from the sort of late 80s, early 90s. Right. Um, but a very serious journalist back in before he was that. Um, he used to host the Classic FM Breakfast Show, probably BBC London as well. Um, but yeah, he was, um, he was at LBC and uh, we shared a hairdresser. <laughs> and although I'd, al- I'd already got this um, in- internship. That's where the business gets done, isn't it? I'd already got this internship thing, and sort of, which was, uh, you know, I, I, they paid for my fees at, at City and I got a job with them at the end and I, I worked there during the course. Um, I said to Henry, who has terrible hair, by the way, if you, if you look up it, um, but we, <laughs> we were going to the same hairdresser under the bridge at Golders Green uh, Station. And I said, you can go in front of me, Henry, if you give me someone... Someone good to call at um, LBC. <laughs> <laughs> and he did, and I never called this person. Um, and then I, when I went into LBC, I saw him there, and he therefore sort of thinks that he right. that I owed my, my career to him. He was a <laughs> lovely guy. My dad, my dad is Irish as well, so Henry, being very Irish, right. um, used to, took, took something of a shine to me, met my dad, and he was at my wedding. Oh, that's but lovely. Again, again, we digress. I... I wanted to be a producer. I got the opportunity to be a producer at LBC. Um, I was there for about three years doing all sorts of shows, including uh, the early breakfast show where I spent a year waking up at about 10 to 3 to be in work at half three, quarter to four. And it's kind of messed up my sleep pattern ever since and made me very tired and emotional. (laughs) I would cry at adverts. That's my overwhelming memories. If we can bring this back to football, please over do, the, yeah, please do. The, the Champions League final in 2005 when I was working at LBC, um, I was so tired. And this was in Liverpool 3-0 down, of course, then come back <laughs> come back to make it 3-3, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I just absolutely bawled my eyes out because I was so exhausted and it was a very emotional game. It was very uh, emotional anyway, wasn't it? I, think, I, I would say yeah. that well-rested people were in tears that night. Yes, and I had to wake up at whatever o'clock mm. the next day. Um, Can I take you back a little bit and latch on to your year in America? Because I'm very very curious to know what you were doing on on the radio in America. You can we can latch we can go back and latch on to that. Um, so long as then we can then fill in the gaps and then how I get to the Guardian and then yeah, to the oh, yeah, no, I, I want to come again. I just think you know I'm a, I'm an A. DB guy, you know what I'm saying? Right, you're non-linear. It's exactly, all content. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it really is all content. But do tell me, uh, what were you doing on the radio in America? Because it seems like a strange place for a for a for a young English man. Oh well, it was um, it was yeah, the university station. So you know, it's not like I um, was broadcasting to 
to vast swathes of people on WDNYX, right? Sure, <laughs> whatever. But what, what was, does one do on on student uh, radio? Because I've 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 never done it. Uh, well, in in Birmingham, I did. Uh, they had a station called Burn FM, Birmingham Birmingham University Radio Network, um, and I did what's called Breakfast in Bed with uh, Ben and Matt, or Matt and Ben, my, right. my pal Matt. Then we just played some music and talked about stuff for what, a couple of hours what kind of stuff would you talk about oh, oh god i've got it on cassette somewhere Have maybe really? even on mini disc but i haven't heard it for for many times we we certainly didn't talk about the burning issues <laughs> in life we might have long hair we might have talked about that we might have talked about um geez joe i don't know what we talked about <laughs> i can remember some of the music we played like give us some give us some examples of the music you were playing. Um are you aware of Cat Power? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We played He War by Cat Power. I think okay. that was our first song. I right. really like that. That was and I'm sure I did some sort of uh uh intro into that where we and in fact, yeah, we would have come off a conversation about cats. Right. I'm a, I'm a big cat fan. Okay, yeah. Um uh and uh, went into went into cat power. Did you like to do the thing where you would uh, still be talking as the music starts and fade that in and fade your voice out, or was it much more functional? Oh no, never no. N- never crashed crash the intro. No, no, you are, you're a purist. You leave uh, you leave yourself purist. out of the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. We played some very fun stuff, and this is often so. Th- this we did after the year in America, so that we played quite a lot of country music as well. Right. All my exes live in Texas by George Strait. <laughs> might okay. have played some some naughty music as well. Might have done some. Might have played Hose in different area codes by <laughs> Ludacris. <laughs> I forgot about Ludacris. Okay, yeah. listen. <laughs> let's let's abandon student radio. You, yeah. It's two thousand and five. You're crying. Uh, the miracle of Istanbul. <laughs> um, what happens after that? You're at LBC. Um, how, how how do you? Is there somewhere between that and the Guardian? Channel Four, right? I think it's. I think there's about another six to nine months there, Joe, where um, uh, I was. I was still at LBC. I was. I was freelancing at this point, and sort of dabbling a little bit in publicity for children's books oh. as well. Doing some PR there with a friend of my sister, um, who was a children's author, and I quite fancied. I, I still haven't done it. You know, you'll, you'll see. Um, as a a book on my bookshelf down there, um, which is how to write for kids, um, right. which I've, I don't think I've ever opened or read, but I, I have been waiting for a long time now to drop my, um, award-winning, uh, story of the <laughs> adventures of a fat cat. Right. But I found that the market has always been saturated by that. <laughs> so, is it a communist fable or is it just a fat cat? No, it's just, oh no, it's, it's a real fat cat. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, so uh, and, and whilst I was freelancing for doing this children's book PR, I was also um, I was also doing some work for Channel Four. Yeah, um, who were very keen to set up um, this alternative network to to the BBC, the uh, sort of like a commercial radio answer to uh, BBC's dominance of speech radio. So they would have they'd have some music stations as well, but they Primarily, they wanted to sort of be an alternative to 
to Radio 4 and the Today programme, and I imagine Five Live as well. They hired some really good people. They hired a guy called Bob Shannon, who was head of Five Live at the time, um, to to head them up. And he he's now head of Radio 2 and Radio C. He's possibly, I think he's head of all music radio at the beat, but he's, he's a big radio cheese. Yeah. yeah. So they were very serious about doing this. And the whole plan was to build sort of the infrastructure you needed to get our, uh, you know, have, have the DAB masks and the like. So that was very expensive and that was kind of going on in the, in the background. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I, I was part of the, the launch team for the, what was it called? The Channel 4 News Morning Report podcast, right? which was not particularly good um, <laughs> show which I had brought in with you know my I was I was there to sort of give it a bit of character along with the the other people who were on there who had more news chops than me um, but I sort of had uh, I could apply some some fun and some sure. program making experience to it whilst also having worked in the newsroom which I had done in my latter time at, at LBC Um you could lighten up the morning, but keep things professional. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I worked on that for about six months. I had some terrible shifts on that in terms of uh, time patterns. Um, wow. Um, Early mornings. You could either you could do the overnight shift, which was eight pm to eight am. You could do the early shift, which was four am to uh, one pm, or there was a setup shift as well, which was probably uh, I can't remember, but better better hours, but finished at like ten pm or something. It was mm. yeah, it was all bad and all teary again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but great experience, not just because uh, I got to meet John Snow and uh, part of the shift involved you you worked on the lunchtime news program, so it was involved in the um, the. Uh, the the news meetings that would be for that lunchtime show and also for seven o'clock news. And uh, John Snow's two favourite phrases, it, it turned out for those meetings, were if, if an idea wasn't very good, that's a bucket of wank, or <laughs> uh, if it was if it was a bit better than that, wank strewn. No, I yeah, find it so but, hard to imagine John Snow saying those things. He's such a nice old man. He is a lovely avuncular old chap, but. Yeah, he had, had a bit of a potty mouth on him. He, he wow. said it all, you know, there was no uh, there was no malice involved. It was just his, his kind no, of sure. trademark. The time. Bucket of wank seems like a young person's game. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm casting too friendly a light on the elderly in our community. But uh, yes. Jon Snow, bucket of wank, doesn't, I, I can't, I can't visualise it. But I believe you. Should we? We'll move away from John Snow's back at a wank. But, <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, I, I was so I was I was freelancing there uh, for Channel Four News, and they were kind of getting further and further away from the launch date that they'd origin, originally put uh, put in. And um, I started listening to uh, these things called podcasts on on Guardian Unlimited. Uh, the original version of the Guardian's website. So they first of all hosted Ricky Gervais's podcast. Um, and then in the summer of that year, it was the World Cup in, I want to say Germany, 2006. Yeah, and it was. It was. And they had this thing called football, I don't know. No, it was the World Cup, World Cup Daily. That's yeah. it, or the World Cup show, which was hosted by TV's James Richardson. This hilarious Irish fella called uh, Barry Glendening, 
Sean Engel and a couple of other people. And I thought, wow, this is this is fun. Um, I want to get I want to get involved in it. Um, so I I emailed or phoned up someone there. His name was Neil McIntosh. McIntosh, you see, has a bit of a, a <laughs> bit of provenance and, sure. uh, in my in my career. Uh, but yeah, I, I spoke to him and he said, "Oh well, uh, send your CV. We'll um, we're going to advertise for two jobs here." Uh, sent the CV over and he called me back almost immediately, and I got a very good vibe from that. Mm. Um, a positive vibe. A positive vibe, and sure enough, I got one of those two positions. Those are producer positions. They were hiring their own producer teams um, there, and that is how I uh, got to work at, at the Guardian. Producer Ben was born in the in the form that many not, know him as. Not no, not so much. And I got to say, when I when I got there, I was on a nine month contract, and I fully intended not to stay beyond nine months. Um, I was just gonna sort of have some get some experience and um you know work work on what i was doing there but with the intention of joining channel four new uh, channel four radio right when that started up um and this was partly because the guardian was oh it was massively chaotic when i joined there that we they hired two people and they only had one desk for us and only one <laughs> machine with uh, audition on it right so we so we had to share it we had to share it and um for about the first four months so that was a bit problematic and it was just yeah it, it didn't they didn't really know what they were doing and i was thinking you know it's not it's not proper radio you know i'm just it's not gonna not gonna do anything. What's this um, thing called podcast? What's this thing called podcasting? Yeah, um, and yet, uh, yeah. Channel Four Radio kept pushing back their launch date until I believe they scrapped it in possibly two thousand and nine, right? Um, something like that. They said we can't afford it. We've lost all this money, um, but something like a two year delay from when they they started to actually say no and uh, i ended up staying at the guardian for uh, 11 years <laughs> but, but i i mean you're, you're very kind to say refer to me as producer ben and it's always slightly embarrassing doing that but no i i didn't start to work on football weekly until about uh probably about that time 2008 9 right. i i worked on Originally, the science show, Science Weekly, um, which was great fun. Then I launched the Music Weekly, and that's what actually that was my first time on air proper. Right. I I assumed the persona of uh, producer Ben, the self-appointed eighty-seventh most influential person in UK music. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then I worked on on Media Talk, which was the the Media Guardian podcast, and that was. That was great because it meant that I, you know, I sort of I got to network quite a lot and sort of know the industry, um, and that was great. I worked with someone called Matt Wells on that, who was the editor of Media Guardian at the time. Uh, he's now at CNN. Lovely fellow, very, very good guy. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until wasn't until sort of a wave of redundancies at the Guardian, um, where and I sort of saw. It's not, not like I'm massively prescient or anything like that, but I sort of, sort of 
saw the way the wind was blowing and thought, you know, if they do get rid of their podcast, by this time they'd hired about six other producers and were doing lots and lots of stuff. Thought if they do get rid of their podcasts at any point, they'll keep hold of Football Weekly. Yeah. Because that's really successful and really big and really good. Um, so I'm going to attach myself to that. Um, and I should say, apart from anything else, I really loved that show. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. I thought, you know, this is, this is a show I'd love to be associated with. Having produced and worked on so much rubbish in my career at things at, at LBC and, and mostly LBC that I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say it here, Steve Allen. I've always hated Steve Allen. I worked with him for a bit and he made my life very miserable. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and that, that was, and I did uh, their sex show for a bit and some other nonsense there when I was sort of on shift and just doing this that, and the other some stuff I was very proud of but a lot of just the the functional shift stuff not so much as as people are you know when they yeah. when they're starting off with things but it was it was a great it was great to be associated and to be working on something so high profile and so good and uh you know my my life changed forever uh yeah. when I started working football weekly well let's talk about football weekly because uh I mean, it's a, it's exceptionally popular as a as a podcast. Um, what was it like uh, behind the scenes? I mean, what was the? How much did you guys know that you had a good thing in the early days when you when you first started working on the show? I mean, you say it was already very successful, but um, were you aware at the time of how of how sort of big that would become and how big podcasting would become generally as a, as an industry? Uh, definitely not. I mean, I, I I knew it was I knew it was popular because. You know, a lot of my friends listened to it and we were all of a certain age. And, you know, James James was someone that we watched on, on Football Italia growing up. Um, but it just seemed like this, it was like this different voice and this different take on football. This was a, a time when Alan Shearer and um, kind of the Match of the Day lot were doing no research about anything. There weren't stats or anything. It was all very much, oh, he'll be disappointed with that. Um, you know, it was it was cliche ridden football uh, um, analysis, whereas we were doing something much funnier and also much more in depth. There was there was um, you know there was good analysis and there was good humour, and this was because they were smart people talking about football. Um, and that so so I, I did feel like kind of um, part of a uh, uh, the. Yeah, I suppose I did feel like that we were helping sort of change the tide of analysis uh, in in football, and people were expecting better stuff. Um, perhaps it was the World Cup in in South Africa that when, or it might have been the remember she, where's the where, what happened in two thousand eight? Two thousand and eight. The, the Euros, Euros is Spain. Okay, so right. it is two it's two thousand and ten. Yeah. At the um, at the World Cup in that is South Africa. Yeah, isn't that's it? right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the commentary team didn't know anything about the players they were talking about. They were laughing. They were talking about Tunisia or or Morocco. Or yeah, well organised, hard to break down, but we, we don't really know about these people. And that, and then I think as well around the same time, Newcastle had signed Hatim Ben Afra, who I think Shearer might have got his name wrong or something, or again, just said, we don't know anything about him. When actually, if you 
had been following French football or whatever, you would know that this was a properly skillful player and you'd know which was his better foot and if he's good at free kicks and dribbling and all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of a watershed. And, you know, I'm not in any way going to say Football Weekly was solely responsible for that, but you also had the Ramble coming up there. You had, um, you know, the Fiverr on The Guardian in terms of written content, live blogs, or just this different voice. Yeah. Was out it's fair to say there was a group of people that were, were leading the charge there and maybe maybe forcing over time the middle to, to move slightly or at least yeah. forcing Match of the Day to hire researchers for their pundits. Yes, I think so. I think that's fair. If if that's a thing they do, I actually don't know. <laughs> I assume it is. Is what do, you, what do you know? Does Alan Shearer, when he's on Match of the Day, does he have a researcher? Is he given notes or is he just encouraged by what's happening elsewhere to do more I research these days? I possibly say, Joe. I don't <laughs> want to shatter the, the illusion. No, that's really like uh, lifting the, the curtain there on how, how these guys do stuff. No. But, you know, just hanging out and working with like, people like Rafa Honigstein, James Horncastle was young and up and coming then. Um who else did we have that were Philippe Claire was along with us, Amy Lawrence, just yeah. some really, really smart, interesting people who have views on things beyond just football and who see football for more than just the game being played on, on the pitch. Yeah. You know, having, having written my dissertation on, representations of Reaganite foreign and domestic policy in Rocky 1, 2, 3 and 4. <laughs> that kind of really struck a chord with me. Sure, you know, yeah. I really like sort of taking that sort of artsy, wanky uh, approach uh, to, to looking at things. Looking at X through the prism of Y. Sure, sure. If you will. Yeah. And, and, and what were you saying the other day in a, side, a sideways look at? A sideways glance at. A sideways glance at, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to know from you what happens, because I, lo- I, 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 um, I don't listen to football podcasts anymore because I'm too busy doing them all the time. But when I did, I listened to Football Weekly and I loved it. Um, and I really want to know, as a bit of a fan, what, what take, can you take me through a day of a recording? Like, what, where are you? Who's arriving? How does it all work? Are you chatting beforehand? How do the edit? What are the edit points? Because it's such a sharp show. I, I always like to think with James Richardson that uh, you know he, he almost sounds edited, but I assume that's just how he how he does it. For example, any little details like that for me? I mean, James is super smart and super funny and. You know, I've I've worked with him for over a decade. Uh, I think I write on things. You know, I've been the, the voice in James's earphones for <laughs> for, for however, however long it is. Um, and I discovered sort of very early on that he and I have a very similar sense of humour. Uh, he's much quicker and much funnier. But you know, we we he he loves wordplay. He loves yeah. He's he, the man is a genius. Um, so sort of in the, in the early days, I'll be honest, behind the scenes, I didn't have, I didn't have certainly as much of a role or, um, either through my own desire or, or need. Um, I sort of, I sort of, uh, left, left everyone to do, do their own thing. Um, that is, you know, I chat with James and let him know who was on and we booked the show basically according to who was on shift. You had Barry plus two others, um, and I didn't do I didn't do a great deal of research or anything there. But I was you know I came from live live radio background. I would um, and and the show sort of sort of ticked over by itself. 
in terms of the running or you know we'd do sid sid on spain and we didn't do very many phoners or we just kind of followed the the results as was and then uh, and looking forward to the to the games at the weekend as well um and if you listen to those shows there's not much production wizardry in anything it's just edited uh nicely and it's got stings and all, all of that stuff um but then you know as as i work with james for longer and longer and we sort of developed that that producer presenter relationship we got more confident with each other and i would i would suggest things i would write things you know we'd talk about how we get from one one thing to another i did a lot more on talk back than i would and you know and then i would uh, i'd i'd figure out who who worked well with each other on the panel what people's particular strengths were and i talked to all of them and i said you know to what have you seen this weekend what do you want to talk about blah 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 and we would, you know, increasingly, I would, we would converse more about what would go into the show rather than just three people turning up and basically winging it and yeah. making a success of that by, you know, by um, kind of by by accident. And that's when, you know, I felt far more of a, an ownership, not sole ownership by any means, but kind of far more involved and far more uh, far more integral to what we were doing. And that's been, and that's been an enormous, you know, enormous part of my my week. We would, James and I talk would talk all the time, there, and I would, uh, and I would talk to to the other guests and the other people we'd have on, and kind of in the, the later year, you know, when we had, I mentioned them again, Rafa and Horncastle, and who else? We'd have John Ashdown and. Uh, other guys on at the Guardian, these these guys be kind of become very good mates with them. So we would talk, and I'd get a good idea of their character and their personalities, and we'd sort of we'd build in elements of that to the show. And the longer you work with them, and the more you know what their voice, uh, you know, sort of their tone of voice and their tone of analysis, but also their humour. You do running gags and things. You recall moments that they talked about last time. Um, that's just that's something you can only do when you work on a show with the same people for a long time um and you know when it when it came to international tournaments and the like when we're doing shows every night for 20 odd 20 odd nights that that's the real fun that's um that's when you kind of get a story and a narrative going throughout the shows and we started bringing a lot more music to the show and sort of just having a lot more fun. We you, can, pretend, you can hear that, I think. Yeah. And we and we really, we, we sort of felt that we were kind of doing our own thing away from the rest of the, the paper and just, just really loving it. Um, and we started doing live shows as well, um, which is great. And I'd have to say, I'm going to bring in Ian at this point, Ian McIntosh. Um, the Mac Daddy. I'm not going to call him that, but <laughs> Ian, I'd, I'd always enjoyed reading Ian's stuff and I got him on to be, I think it was when Shakhtar Donetsk were playing um, Borussia Dortmund in possibly a quarterfinal and the other one was like Real Madrid versus Juventus. Ian could always be relied upon to cover the games that no one else would. Yeah. And he sort of carved out that niche for himself. <laughs> um and I got him on to do that, but also to, you know, just be, give his whimsical take on football. Um, 
and again, he and I became very good mates from that, and he's fantastic on air. And sort of from that first episode, he then became sort of the he was on every Monday throughout the season, and he also went to games as well. So that was very you know that was a big advantage for him over a lot of the other guys who would just watch them on telly. But yeah, Ian Ian got involved with the show, and that that also helped kind of change the. That made the show a lot funnier as well, I think. And, you know, we could do we could do things once Ian was there that we couldn't do with other panellists. And then we, uh, and again, Philippe, we'd bring in and we could talk about his musical background. We could talk about the fact that he was uh, the voice of, I think his, his, his phrase was brace, brace. He used to say that on the EasyJet um Easy Jeff flights. He's also the voice of the the monkey in Aladdin in the French dub. Uh, really? The French version. Yeah. Wow. So got some very fascinating people <laughs> with whom we had a lot of fun. But uh, and I was saying we we started doing live shows as well, and sort of knowing these guys' personalities and their confidence, and the more that they'd done the show, and the more that they sort of interacted with everyone, uh, the, the different personalities interacted. We could do a really excellent sort of live version of that. I mean, geez, we played the Palladium, the London Palladium twice. We had 1,500, 2,000 people there, which was phenomenal. And uh, that was a very proud moment to do that. We played in, uh, we played in Norway. We played, um, we've done Liverpool everywhere. And it was really great. And I could have sort of <laughs> local, local people yeah. for local, the local shows. So they got like a nice kind of, a local bit of buzz and brought their families and stuff. It was, it was brilliant. Who'd you have had in some... Norway? We didn't have anyone Norwegian there. Although, no, we had Ian, who was, um, he was a bit of a local star in Norway. Uh, Is he? He used, to be, he used to be flown over by, I can't remember the name of the TV channel, but he used to do their um, transfer deadline day coverage. <laughs> I did not it's... know. That did not come up in our podcast. I wish it had. No, his transfer... <laughs> <laughs> it's Norwegian transfer superstar. Wow! In Mac- I should say he's he's talking about the Premier League deadline sure, day rather sure. than um, Norwegian. Uh, that transfers. would be exceptionally impressive if it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but let me think. It was it was Ian. It was Barry, of course, who was always kind of the star of these these live shows, and uh, James Horncastle. And I remember right. it's James Horncastle because he and I um, ate some very bad. I think beetroot carpaccio or oh. raw beetroot or something beforehand and yeah oh dear i i found i found a more secluded uh bathroom area than than he did <laughs> he was sort of in the in the green room bathroom which was yeah we neither of us were very well but that was that was an amazing experience <laughs> for, for so many reasons yeah okay so you were at the guardian for 11 years uh you're no longer at the guardian of course um what happened ben well, sort of, I'd, uh, I'd been there a long time, uh, that, is, that is fair to say, and I, really, and I, I had a, uh, a young family and I was, you know, I was trying to kind of better myself and look for, uh, I wanted to feel that my career w- was going somewhere and unfortunately, working at a newspaper and being one of only sort of six audio people um, there's very limited opportunity for me to sort of progress career-wise and, you know, financially as well. 
Um, and, you know, I felt like I've, I'm part of this huge show, which is consistently one of the, the biggest shows in terms of audience numbers, in terms of reputation. We've just sold out the Palladium twice. We're doing all these tours. And yet, you know, I'm still on the same sort of salary that I was on six years ago. And I can't, I can, there, there's no, there's no career path. I can either be producer of this show or, or nothing. And I, and I didn't want, you know, it's not like I wanted to do another show or anything, but I wanted to do other things. Um, I did a lot of freelance work on the side of my, my time at the Guardian. I basically had, um, I sort of had the, the, <laughs> the security of a, uh, of a, of a staff job with the lifestyle of a, of a freelancer. But I did a lot of, I did, a, I did a lot of stuff. I worked, um, with a couple of comedians and a couple of brands doing their shows. Uh, I can say all this now, you know, statute of limitations and all of this. <laughs> um, I was asked to write a book, um, which is still available. It's called Podcast Master, not my title. I thought you were just glancing there at your bookshelves there, Jade. So, yes, I got a copy of it. It's no, fantastic. you don't. It's an e-book, I believe. It is an e-book, though I do have hard hardcover issues. Did you, um, do you really? Yeah. How does um, that's but, very exciting. I didn't read about that anywhere. I only read that it was an e-book, so that was I, 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 I basically went to... A, I, I didn't self-publish. I sort of went to a... I got them printed up right, um, yeah. as, you know, like in the hundred, every hundred, uh, like a hundred, 200 copies at a time. Yeah. Because I sometimes, uh, there's another thing, I did talks and sort of uh, what, what the Guardian would uh, loosely call masterclasses. But I held, you know, like seminars and I had a lot of experience and I was quite a lot I could could share and in terms of techniques and I taught to university students as well. Um, and... You know, I was sort of, I was, you know, the producer Ben thing was kind of known in a in a funny way. But, you know, I was, people sort of knew who I was and, and sort of within the industry, they also knew who I was. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was sort of looking to, to, to make the most of that and to better myself. And, and it became clearer and clearer that I couldn't do this at The Guardian. Um, they were under, they've constantly been under you know financial constraints and there's you know very sad news as we record this of 180 more job cuts there um and i basically i had to sort of make the decision of do i stay here and essentially you know do something i'm quite comfortable with and and um but i'm basically treading water and i can't I can't take things much further because we're the show is sort of a success in spite of the Guardian rather than because of. I'm very grateful for all the opportunity they gave us there, but you know their attention was always audio was the 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 big thing for a while. Then they went to video, and that was exciting. And then they developed the website, and we just sort of carried on being successful doing our thing, but sort of as like the the fun, slightly awkward stepchild, you know, and. So I'd, I had been thinking of leaving for a while and I talked about it with James um, about what to do. And James was just on a, a freelance contract with things and he, he was out of contract generally at the end of the season. Um, and we'd, you know, Ian had often posited this, this thing, why don't we kind of do something together? Why don't we set up this thing? We'll, we'll take the show um, and we'll, we'll sell audio books and we'll build a website and we'll do all of this stuff. And we thought, hmm. You know, well, we just sort of hummed and hard over it, and um, 
James and I had become very close to signing with another company. This is in the summer of 20, 2017. You know, very close, sort of like contracts ready to be signed and all of this. And, and then uh, that fell through because they said, sort of at the, at the last minute, just when we were about to sign things and having spoke to them at great length about what we needed, what we were going to do, they said, you yeah, don't think we can uh, do this in time for the start of the season, but we could do it for Christmas. So um, why don't we uh, why don't we leave it till then? And we thought, uh, no, because, you know, you need to launch a football show at the start of the season. Yeah. And also, you know, not many people know we were going to really help this brand sort of uh, go not mainstream, mainstream, but we we were much we were much more visible than they were. But they had, you know, much more resource and uh, that the, and clout than we did. But but yeah, that that fell through. And I called Ian, who we had, who I had talked about doing some uh, setting up a business with for. The, on many occasions, and he said, "Well, you know, why don't we sort of get the band back together again?" And then we had, you know, for more on this, listen to to Ian's interview. But we had sort of very frantic discussions between me, me, James, and him over this this summer. And lo and behold, it eventually came to pass that uh, Muddy Knees Media was set up. Ian had some financial backing, uh, put in some of his his life savings and as the story goes as a journalist that's not very much that's how he tells the the story um which i've heard so many times the origin story <laughs> but um and then you know and james james was in and away we go um the actual announcement of it was was fairly uh fairly peculiar because i was the only one on staff at the guardian um, so I was the only one who needed to resign from a job um, or, or was in that kind of position. I think Ian had um, asked Daniel Story, who was at Football 365 at the time, to publish a story on whatever the Monday was at lunchtime um, so that, you know, I could <laughs> I could do whatever I needed to do that Monday morning. Jesus. <laughs> um, it was school holiday. Uh, it was ho- holidays for my kids. I was, I was off. I was taking... My kids to school um, to sorry football camp that morning and you know we the, the Sunday before we'd I think James was on holiday he'd had a last minute change of heart and then we thought okay we're not going to do it and then I had another talk to him and then we we all finally agreed we finally we were in place um, and yeah this story was going to launch at, at lunchtime and. Uh, unbeknownst to me, as I took my kids to to football camp, and my phone started going mental. It launched at like eight or nine a.m., saying James Richardson leaves uh, leaves Football Weekly to set up yeah. Totally Football Show or something. <laughs> and yeah, and I got I got a message from Nick Miller, who now works with us, saying "You sly dog, Ben Green." I got uh, I got a text from. Uh, Mikael Jongsma, who was our sort of Dutch football correspondent, uh, football correspondent, saying congratulations, well done, bud, and like lots of other nice messages. And I thought, oh, how do they know? <laughs> and then I got loads of calls from the Guardian um, saying, we've seen this article. What's going on? And this is because I hadn't resigned yeah. at the time, and it said in this article, you know, Ben Green, producer Ben, has joined him and has also resigned. Um, but, you know, having been in the job for 11 years and I hadn't had a staff position anywhere before, I didn't actually know how to resign. Right. Um, 
So, How do you resign? Um, well, um, send an email and tell them. Well, I ignored all the calls from the Guardian, and then I I sent an email to an H someone in HR who I'd been speaking to previously, actually uh, about about leaving and sort of taking uh, voluntary redundancy. So I sort of had an in there, and I emailed her and said. Um, I've considered my uh, this, please consider this my uh, my resi- my letter of res- resignation or whatever, um, blah blah blah. Um, and because I was on holiday, I said you know my I've got a month's notice and I'm I'll be back in two weeks or something to see how. <laughs> anyway, very typical for the Guardian. Um, I got an out of office reply, <laughs> um, and then shortly after that. Um, I got a message from someone else in the HR team saying, "We, I know. First of all, I got we've, you know, we've received your your resignation. Thank you very much." And then, like ten minutes after that, it has come to light that there's an article linked to that says you've done blah blah blah. Um, you are now, we believe this to be breach of contract. You're yeah. placed on gardening leave. Um, you are not allowed back in the office and you will hear further <laughs> stuff. Um, so, and, and that got exciting. Um, and then, you know, that, that was, uh, that, that was kind of going on in the background. I'd already spoken to an employment lawyer about my contract. So I was kind of prepared for that, but still when it happens, it's not very nice. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, having been there for 11 years and, uh, you know, I had some, I had some, I've got some good pals there. I mean, most of whom had left by this this time, actually. Um, you know, it it, it it was it ended in a very sour way. That that you know the the legal thing sort of resolved itself fairly quickly, actually. Um, and my initial eight game ban was reduced to one <laughs> appeal. But yeah, that first Totally Football show when we set up, I wasn't allowed to be anywhere near or. Uh, and I, I was I was in Cornwall actually, and on I was on a a planned family holiday, which I sort of was really humming and hiring over to go on because yeah. we just set up muddy knees, uh, but I couldn't be near, and so I I went and we did the show and it was really very excellent. And by the, I think I wasn't back for the second one, but I was I, I was sort of in the background for the second one, and then I did the I did the third one and. Away we go. And what was it like to miss the first one? That would have felt like quite a momentous occasion, presumably given the the, the route to, to getting there. Yeah, it was. Were you glued to your phone on holiday, sort of waiting to hear information about it? Um, <laughs> I was in in somewhere in Cornwall, which didn't have Wi-Fi or a or a good <laughs> signal. So that was good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> so that was good. So sort of when I moved to to a point. I'd get a load of messages about, you know, James, Ian and I had a chat group and we could, I could see what was going on. And I know that Ian was really nervous about it, but we had Kelly Cates, we had Jules on it as well. And possibly, no, I think that's the three. We might've had Michael Cox on that first one, or he might've been on the the second one. But anyway, we had, we had a really good lineup and having, um, uh, having Kelly, was amazing and you know I'd, i was sort of in the background before i went away and just yeah i was having my legal issues sort of so you know we were they talked about who was who was going to be on the show and kelly was was amazing she was a brand new voice jules hadn't been on 
really very much on uh, on Football Weekly, but we just we wanted to start with a bang with cool music, um, and just a different vibe, which was positive, passionate, and you know loads of expertise. And the show we we did a like a little launch coming soon trailer with um, the final countdown. Yeah. By Europe, which was cool, and just we 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 really wanted to play up the. We're different. We're not. We're not just Football Weekly. Yeah. Under a different name, so that meant bringing a lot of new voices, um, and and just doing different things and having, you know, if you listen to our two shows now, and it took it took us like a good year to to find our voice. It took that we had that World Cup, uh, in Russia in the after that first season, that was really when we sort of discovered ourselves. Um, loads of comms, loads of fun musical bits, occasional bits of, we did skits and like recreations of great goals with some, you know, effects on people's voices. Yeah. Um, and just really setting ourselves apart when at a time when, you know, the Guardian were getting more and more sort of, uh, they they was sort of like three grumpy men. Yeah. Which is fine. That's what and and I should say, you know, that's kind of what it was there was a lot of that towards the end of, of our time on, on Football Weekly there. You know, you'd often have you'd have Barry, you'd have Wilson and Barney, who are all brilliant writers, very good broadcasters as well, but they come from their perspective is often oh football. Yeah. God, I've seen enough of that. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that they can that they're just a bit tired and, and grumpy about it. And from an outsider perspective, that kind of stuck with me because I thought, you know, people, and, and I, I got this from going to the live shows and, or, or just people getting in touch or wanting, you know, wanting work experience on the show saying, well, oh, you must have the best job in the world. You know, you, and you guys, you're paid to watch football and you, you talk about football for a living and all this. And, you know, so to, to then, sort of say yeah the wi-fi is really shit at, at all the grounds and god what a journey this was when yeah and true you know that is that is the experience of covering football but we wanted to have a much more positive vibe on air about it right so you won't hear us you won't hear any of us uh, any of our people on air complaining about god football's rubbish right yeah isn't it it's been quite difficult with var sure <laughs> i can I imagine yeah <laughs> but we've always always been positive well let, let's let's put it this way though but because i mean the you know when you left to to form muddy knees you obviously a crew of a uh, very very talented people um i you know i'm sure that you felt confident in that the shows that you were going to create would be a success in terms of their structure and their sound and you could be confident about the output and the quality in that sense but really it's a numbers game right and you are waiting uh, to find out how many people are going to download that that first episode. As far as I'm aware, it did exceptionally well, as, as you did in the first couple of months, generally. Yeah. How much of a relief or a surprise, or were you, you know, were you confident about that? Because when I spoke to Ian about it, I think it, it felt very much like a relief. It felt like a, not necessarily, I think vindication is the wrong word, but just like a relief that like going through what you guys went through to, to form this wasn't, uh, yeah. wasn't wasted. It wasn't the wrong thing to do. Absolutely. I mean, we we put in so much to it, and you know, we'd all taken an enormous risk. 
um, for doing it. And, uh, you know, Ian was still working as, as a football writer at this time. He, he wasn't taking any money from the company. I think I was the only salaried employee. Um, but, you know, when we started, we didn't have, we didn't have a, a studio where we could record regularly. We didn't have any office space. We didn't have, we didn't have anything um, at all that you would need to make, to make a show. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we needed to do two a week. Um, and, you know, Ian's very kindly said, you know, that he, he sort of looked after the, the business side of, of stuff far more. And he said he'd never had to worry about the quality of the show because James and I were kind of looking after that. And that's, you know, that's really, that's lovely to hear. But similarly, I, I never doubted that we could, we could do it as a, as a proposition, but like you say, as a business, that was far more, far more um, stressful. We had probably about three months worth of money to do to do the shows, and you know, we we'd called in favors with some people that we'd worked with before in terms of sort of um, you know sponsorships and campaigns and stuff. So we had a bit of money from that. Audio Boom made us a really amazing pitch i spoke to some some people there and they they really wanted us to be involved with them and so they kind of got on board and they're you know they're, they're you know aside from just money and helping us get some ads involved they really wanted to help us grow and very quickly by using their existing football partners and stuff so that was really good but yeah we were playing we we, we really had to sprint out of the blocks and we had uh, someone doing our sales for us, and you know, obviously, we targeted the likes of uh, the uh, a betting partner because they they would pay a premium for a football audience. They and you know they were the most likely people to do it and and take a punt on us because we didn't come with we came with an audience and a subscriber base of zero when we started, we needed people to take a real punt and commercial deals don't get done quickly. So we had, like I said, three months, uh, a ticking clock for three months and we needed to get something done quickly. Um, the bookies were the most likely source of that, but even still, you know, a three, getting a deal done within three months is still pretty, uh, that's still pretty swift. Um, so yeah, it was incredibly nerve wracking. And the last thing we wanted um, particularly because, you know, there was some bad feeling from, from the Guardian lot, as, you know, well, there should be. Um, uh, you know, tail between our legs and having to, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a case of us having to go back there, but just, uh, you did this and you failed. Yeah. That was, no one, no one wanted any part of that. Yeah. So how did it feel when you saw the numbers for the first episode then, the download numbers? Yeah, well, our, our projections were always sort of, I knew what the, the Guardian audience was, obviously. Um, and we thought we could get close to that um, by the end of the first year. But we sort of, we anticipated, you know, 20,000 for the first episode and then add another thousand on for each of the other 80 episodes and we'd be a hundred thousand by the end of the season. And that's kind of where we wanted to be. That was down on what the guardian had, but you know, they had the guardian behind them and a massive track record and the brand name. We were starting from scratch, uh, but we had Jimbo and we had a good show, but yeah, we launched and we, we sort of blew that, that, ex that first number out within, I don't know, within like an hour, two hours or something. So that was, that was good. And then we thought, 
you know, shit, we're, we've, we've got something here, we think. Um, and there, you know, Paddy Power came through with the deal, which was fantastic. I've had some other commercial partners on board. Um, but, you know, another massive help for us was um, we we ended up at Jazz FM. We, <laughs> our, our guy who was doing our sales at the time, a guy called uh, David, David Salem, who was a, a pal. He was a dad at uh, my kid's school as well. Um, but also he's a radio sales um, exec from back in the day. And I did, I did some projects with him and some work with him on some pods that he, he started up. So he was very excited to be on board with us to start with. Um, but he used to be like the commercial director for Jazz FM uh, back in the day, and then and kept like he he kind of had like a sh- one studio credit a week with them, and he rented out their boardroom for a couple of hours a week, so he used them as office space and stuff. So getting David meant that we um, we had the opportunity. We kind of got into Jazz FM, um, and we sorted out a deal with them for the studio. Um, and basically we never left after that. It, we, you know, the, most of their stuff was uh, pre-recorded anyway, or sort of outside of the breakfast show and drive time. So the time we needed the studio was, was great. They, you know, and we paid them for this, but they, they configured the studio so that I could have a control room. Um, they had They had two big studios and then sort of one voiceover booth in the middle but they sort of paired up the studio so that I could I could sit in there and be you know do my thing because I I don't if I don't have talk back I've never felt like I could do my job properly right. um, and sort of direct traffic um, and give bad stats and worse jokes <laughs> and things but you know they were incredibly generous to do that and then you know they had a little box room and they because I was initially editing in but in a corridor basically. <laughs> um, and they said to me and Ian, we've got this little room. If we cleared that out, would you be interested in having the, the desk space? And we said, absolutely. And, you know, the two of us set up shop in a room which was far too small for both of us. It was unbelievably hot because it had like a hot water pipe for the entire building running through it. <laughs> um, we got a hideous green sofa for it and a big telly. Um, to put in there we took Jazz FM's old Stellar Artois fridge which from a, <laughs> basically from a skip yeah and that became our green room office stroke <laughs> you know our, yeah. that became the nerve centre for yeah. Muddy Knees HQ the greasy room for a while. yeah and we stayed there for uh, we had about two years yeah we had two years at Jazz and they were incredibly incredibly cool people really lovely people and one of sort of their their ceo or uh, i forget what his, his role was but he became a non-exec director of, of muddy knees yeah. like incredibly well connected radio guy and you know whilst i kind of looked after the content so it's like particularly the football things and we had james presenting all of that um ian ian was like an absolute force of nature and sort of you know from never having worked in the radio industry or the audio industry he very quickly became very connected with lots of people and made us um appear much bigger and more successful than we than we were and ian's 
Is it? He's like a a home county's village vicar, um, sort of lovely geniality, coupled with that experience of being the sort of the Essex bin bag salesman, <laughs> and he's grafted. I mean, Ian grafts like no one else I've ever met. Um, but he could. Ian can do anything. He can. He can do. He can do commercial deals. He can. He can deal with talent. He can set people's mind at ease. He's. He can write a presentation, and he has like eight, uh, not always good ideas a day, and then just sort of moves on to the next one. And you know, he doesn't always. So he he would come up with an idea, and then you know, often I would have to see it through, or you know, as our team grew, other people would. But yeah, he. He was uh, he was phenomenal, um, and the amount that he took on in terms of the business side and getting all of that done was uh, was amazing. And you know, we we've had such a incredible. You you wanted to talk about a journey at the start of this. We had an amazing journey together. Those our three years of muddy knees were just incredible. We put our absolute heart and souls into it, and um, it was great fun and very stressful. Mm at the same time but uh there's no one i would have rather have done it more with than, than ian well you've sold it to the americans now uh what, what, what <laughs> what's happened there and what are you doing i mean you're you're now a, a colleague of mine technically um yes we now have the same sugar daddy. we now have the same sugar daddy the same job title seems seems insane to me um what <laughs> uh, what are you i mean we ian gave us the story of how of how that company decided to make the decision so i think in your case let's talk about what your role is with the athletic now uh and are you excited to be here of course I'm excited to be here, Joe, sure. and to work with, you know, talent and, um, such as yourself. Right, and, right here. Uh, much, And it's not just, you know, me and Ian and uh, our various other, we, we had about five, we've got about five members of staff now, um, sort of full-time and, and, and part-time. But we've got, you know, we're part of a much bigger thing now. And, I mean, certainly from that we, we've joined at an odd time in terms of uh, sports mm. and, and all of that. Uh, and so, you know, we've had to finish off the season and, you know, there's no sort of break. There's no, we can't, there's not a great, uh, there hasn't been an opportunity to integrate massively with, with what the athletic are currently doing. We're, we're kind of seeing out our own things at the moment and that integration will come, um, will come further down the line. But I'm now, I'm in charge of all the Muddy Knees shows. So that's all the football stuff. And we also have some very successful history shows with the BBC, High School History, You're Dead to Me. We've got some commercial uh, sort of branded content stuff that's going on um, from the horse's mouth, Paddy Power's horse racing show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a series for Procter & Gamble at the moment. But yeah, we've got we've got a lot of stuff on. So, um, I mean, I should... I, I should preface all of this saying that I haven't produced totally since January. I stepped, I'd, I'd always wanted to be, uh, I kind of wanted the time uh, to be able to hear everything we were putting out yeah. and to kind of get away from doing, you know, setting up a show that's guest booking and research and all of this and sort of having to know everything about football and, Sort of, and and then you know, editing for however many hours afterwards, it it became it wasn't a chore by any means. I, I've absolutely adore editing, 
and there is nothing quite like you know having your headphones on and forgetting all your troubles mm. and just focusing on waveforms and yeah. making making order out of chaos a lot of the time and making you know adding in sound effects or, or songs or commentary and just making that show yeah. that you've just done kind of what you intended it to be but no one else in the room probably apart from James sort of knew how it would sound afterwards Do you know what I kind of um, miss it because we've just we've I've just handed over editing responsibilities to our new producer Adonis who's not here right now yeah. but um yeah. Uh, as you as you describe their headphones on, staring at the screen. Oh, it is lovely, isn't it? When it all comes together, the smallest yeah. thing that, as you say, no one else will notice is is very very important to me. No, absolutely. And I just, uh, but we we had so many shows, and I was, you know, I've kind of taken more and more. Well, I've always had to sort of do things as part of startup, you know, for the first year or so, I had to handle the invoices for everyone mm. and do loads of sort of admin shit that I'm not very good at. And that's very time consuming, but one, you know, needs to do because we didn't have an HR department or uh, a, a, a business manager or this, that, and the other. And, you know, we didn't have an art team. So often I would just have to wing it with, with Photoshop yeah. <laughs> or, or preview more more likely because I have very basic <laughs> very basic skills and you know Ian and I did all sorts of stuff that we wouldn't that we are certainly not trained for or have experience of but we just sort of had to do between ourselves because that's what you do at a startup um, but fundamentally my role was sort of ensuring that all of our shows sounded good and I couldn't do that while spending so much time on uh, making. Total yeah. football. So we've had uh, Charlie Jones has been making the show since uh, since January, and has he's phenomenally talented, and you know the he's he's really very creative as well. Um, gets on brilliantly with James, which is you know there have been people who've come and gone who haven't, you know who have uh, who've covered for me or done other projects with James, and he's you know very demanding in a very particular way. He's not. You know, he's, he's not difficult per se, but he you, he really needs to kind of trust you and, and get you. And, and, you know, he and Charlie get on fantastically. And he's, Charlie's very much a step up sure. from, from me. So that's why the show's sounding so good. Are you saying yeah. that James Richardson's a bit like a cautious dog, you know, with a history of, a cautious of harm, dog. you know, has to trust you? You know what I'm saying? Yes, before he urinates on... <laughs> I've, I've said this to a cat <laughs> person, haven't lift. I? This is the problem. <laughs> You have, yes. I'm sorry. No, I, I, dogs I don't get, but cats, cats I do because uh, a dog will love any old idiot. But um, not true for a cat. It takes a particular type of relationship. This is this is the kind of often the cliched misconception of cats and dogs. Dogs won't just love anyone. They'll love you if you treat them well. Cats will never love you because they uh, they don't need you. And that's the way that I look at it. But hey, I've got nicotine withdrawal and I have to go and smoke now. So that's how we're going to end today's episode. Um, but thanks, Ben, for coming on. Executive producer, Ben. Um, we look forward to hearing all of Muddy Knees projects, which are available on the internet, aren't they? And ad-free on The Athletic. Do you know what? I never say that, actually. I feel like we should say... I've been meaning to say for a while, if, you listen to the, if you're listening to this podcast, one of the benefits of being an Athletic subscriber is that uh, you can listen to... I mean, we don't actually have any adverts right now, except for ones about The Athletic. If you hate those ones, 
become a subscriber. <laughs> you won't hear them. But also, there's a... There's they, might, a they might stay in, actually, if you're listening to On The Athletic. They, they I think might. you'd be a fool not to do cross-promotion for other, other <laughs> things. Uh, but the best thing about it is that uh, we get to link the relevant pieces that we're talking about. So when you're listening on the app, you can just click straight through to whatever piece that we're talking about. beautiful. That's really good. I like that. That's synergy. And you know yeah. what? You wouldn't have had that just in TIFO by yourself, and certainly we didn't have that have when had we that. were doing when we were by ourselves. So, isn't that nice? That, that and, was the you know, main reason we decided to come. And do you know who come. the main beneficiary of that is? The the listener, the, the listener, the viewer, the the reader, the multimedia subscriber, the user. Yeah, the user that's user. right. Yeah, <laughs> it's a win win for all. <laughs> it's a win win. It's it's a win win for content. I think is what you're saying. I think it's all about the content, yeah. Joe. Well, hey, uh, producer Ben, thanks so much for coming, and uh, Ben Green, and we will uh, we'll chat to you again in the future, hopefully. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs>